So this morning, I had the privilege to to go preach and worship with another congregation. How many of you remember Anton Lucky when, when he came here and shared? And so I got to go share and time with them. And really just amazing, sweet time. Um, and God just God just moved. And uh, one of the things that I got the privilege to do is to lead the community in a time of prayer for God to to come and end the sickness that's going around right now. I know you probably watched the news and seen the coronavirus stuff. And, you know, in our own lives and in the church, we want to be thoughtful in the way that we approach the stuff and be wise. But we also want to believe that God can end sickness because He sent His Son to liberate us from death. And so the thought in my heart is you know, we, we partially we want to pray that God would alleviate people's suffering, but I think we also want to pray because He is this kind of God that can end this thing altogether, not, not just make it a little bit better. And so I just want to invite you to, um, to stand with me and we're going to pray that God is going to bring about His healing. We, we get this privilege that we, we are called to make the wisdom of God, the manifold wisdom of God known to the principalities and the powers of darkness. And so what we declare tonight is that God is a healer and that He's on the throne and whatever He, whatever he decides goes. Know what I'm saying? And so I, I want us to just speak to this thing and to call on our God to bring His salvation to, to His people. Amen? So let's just, let's just do this together. Lord, we just speak um, to this coronavirus. We speak to um, the sickness and disease that is affecting people, God. We acknowledge the suffering. We acknowledge the reality of the situation. But God, more than that, we acknowledge the truth that you have created an open heaven over our lives. And God, we, we speak and we say, we say to the storm to be still and to calm. And God, I just pray that you would bring peace in the heavens, God. That you would bring peace in the air and peace in the earth, God. That we would see your healing come not over just individuals, but over the whole of, of our planet, God. I pray that you would just, uh, that it would be surprising to people that the news would no longer be the exceeding exponential spreading of something, but it would be shocking to people to see what you do. That it would just diminish quickly, God. And so, Lord, we just stand on the faith that you have, you are a miracle working God, and that you you can reverse the problems that are even really large problems. And so God, we say peace to the storm right now. We say peace to the storm right now. We say peace to the storm right now. Let's just speak peace.
be thankful for His peace. Um, I got the privilege this morning when I shared to uh, take uh, Colby and Amber and Austin Chappelle, who I don't see here tonight, they came and they ministered. They gave they gave words with me to people, and I have to just I have to brag on Colby for a moment. I actually asked him to come and share tonight. But so we're meeting with the pastor Bishop Omar, who we're meeting with him in his office before the service, and uh, I had to ask Colby specifically to pray for some words the night before and you know ask God to speak to him and so one of the words that God gave him that he told me after this conversation was God gave him a word that there was going to be somebody who was trying to make a business acquisition and that God would soften the hearts of the parties so that they could come to agreement is that about right and so so anyways the uh, pastor there Bishop there starts, starts telling us that he was on this phone call till one in the morning where he's trying to buy these two Christian radio stations. And this is, I'm not making this up. So he starts telling us this story and he's like, you know, I, you know, I have this immediate thing that come to my mind. It's like, hey, you need to make sure and get the right deal on this. And so he tells me right after that, he said, you know, we just make this, this offer on it. And I came in one-third below what they were asking because I knew I, I could, couldn't overpay for this thing and I was like man just I was like I was like let God just work on it so he he got this text you don't even know this part he got this text during church because they were up late that they were just like sorry we're gonna have to go look for another offer that's that's just not gonna work and um and so right after, I guess right after church ended, he, the guy texted back and he said, you know what? Now that I'm rethinking this, we're, we're going to put your proposal out there. We think it might, there might be a deal there. And so literally, like, Colby comes with a, with a word that God's going to soften their hearts. By the end of the church service, a deal that was dead was alive and maybe happening. And I'm just like, holy cow and this guy he's i don't know how old bishop is probably 50 years old but he's like i got a 15 year old sitting here giving me a word about a business deal and and so i mean you can give a hand clap to the lord that's like that's amazing and so i asked colby i said hey do you want to do you want to try again tonight he said yes so come it, it's funny I actually gave this I gave this big uh, talk because I didn't you know I don't know where they're coming from I said hey I said just so you know like in, in our church we ask people to hear from God and to give words and we expect that some of those things are going to be wrong and and that's okay because we're all growing in our hearing from God and so we got to have this whole talk this church that I don't know if they were ever exposed to this idea before but like I just felt like God like opened something up but Colby didn't have any wrong words so <laughs> so go for it yeah like you were saying if anything I say sounds wrong let me know 
Um, yeah, so the first word I had was for Austin, but he's not here right now, so. Okay, um, I was just, I had a vision of him just, like, standing on this plateau overlooking a forest, and he just looked really content and happy, and I felt that God wanted to remind him that uh, one of the best gifts that he, he was given by God was the ability to pre- appreciate the beauty that God created around him. So, yeah. Um, I got something for uh, Jerry as well. Um, I thought I'd delete my notes for a second. Um, I had a vision of her standing in a field. And the field wasn't, like, awesome, but it, like, wasn't really ugly either. And it was just kind of an average field. And uh, she was looking through this, like, thicket of rosebush brambles at this, like, really gorgeous meadow beyond them, that, like, they were between her and this meadow. And uh, I just felt God say that he wanted to bring her into a season of plenty, but to get there, she would have to go through some challenges that seemed unpleasant, but that the challenges would bring the beauty out of her. So during those times of those changes and those challenges, that she has to see that, that, you know, the challenges were in the vision were like a rose bush. So she still has to see the rose despite the thorns as she's going through those changes. And that in the end, she's going to get to this beautiful meadow. Um, the, the last thing I had was for Dave. I may, I may be wrong about this one. Um, I just, I heard that maybe you were having some kind of like lower back pain. Have you had any of that? No? What? No. Lower back. Oh well. I missed it. It'll start hurting tomorrow. <laughs> no, I, I pray that your back doesn't hurt. <laughs> Alright, that's all I had though. That's just fun right there. How many of you thankful Jesus is present? He's alive. Come on, we get an amen for that. Let's thank the worship team. Okay, I'm going to attempt to open my computer. It's not opening. Okay. There we go. We're alive. How many are thankful Jesus is still on the throne? Um, I'm, I kind of want to address the, the elephant in the room just really quick and briefly talk about the news that has been present. Um, probably a couple weeks ago, I started tracking with the, the COVID coronavirus story and a little bit earlier than I heard people around tracking on it. And so I kind of was kind of keyed in on the fact that this was going to become a thing. And, um, and so this week it's like became a thing for everyone. And, and so what happened is I, I looked at, uh, and, and I, I do think it's a, a serious thing, and I'm, I'm going to talk about that for a moment, in a moment. But I looked at uh, the, I was looking at the statistics, and one of the most shocking statistics 
that I saw was they were talking about different things that had happened, you know, like sicknesses, different things that had happened. And um, the most shocking statistic was how many times this thing had been mentioned in the media. And I think as of, as of Thursday or Friday, there were almost 2 billion citations by global media of this thing. So just wrap your mind around that. And, and so bringing this up for a reason, I, uh, like, like many of you, have been inundated with information around this thing. And I think it is wise to be mindful and considerate of, of, of the news that is out there. But as I, was, as I was reading, probably about Thursday, I realized that I was a little bit, I was a little bit stressed and a little bit anxious. And how many of you experienced any of this? few of you? I don't know. I, I, I got, you, oh man, your wife is throwing you under the bus, Paul. <laughs> I'm with you. <laughs> I, I'm in the same boat, Paul. Um, and so I just started, you know, my dad and I are kind of feeding off of each other. And I remember um, probably, you know, you know, Thursday, Friday, I realized, I was like, I realized that I had moved over to this thing where it was like basically consuming my thoughts like most of the day. How many of you have noticed this thing? And I asked God this question. I said, God, I don't ever remember anything in my entire life like this that was a public thing. Now, we all have personal things that, that consume our thoughts and get us for seasons. But I don't, I don't have any recollection of anything in my entire life that's a public thing that got in my thoughts like this. I, I don't know if this is like how it has been for you guys, but it's been like this for me where I, I just like, oh man, it's just on my mind. And I realized quickly, or not quickly, I realized at a point that I wasn't just interacting with the information of this thing, that I was, I was participating with the spirit of this thing. And I think it's really important that we are careful to delineate the two of those things. That when, when things like this, and I say things like this, there's some unprecedented here, but there's, there's always throughout history things that have really affected cultures or nations or peoples or times. And when things like this happen, it's not that we should ignore them. It's not that we should be like, ah, oh, you know, whatever. It's no big deal. God's on the throne. No big deal. It's not that we should have that kind of heart. It's that, it's that we don't need to participate in the spirit of fear that comes with it. And so, like, what I really feel like God wants us to do as, as His people is, is hear and interact with the information so that we can make wise decisions in the way that we live our life, but not to get wrapped up into the spirit of this thing. And, and so you see... There is this, there is this, um, there's this trend throughout Scripture and trend throughout um, early church history where, where people who are preaching the gospel will preach the gospel in context of things that are happening in the culture at the time. They reference, um, you know, like these big zeitgeist moments of the time, these big, uh, they reference... Uh, poets and you know and philosophers of the time and they do this but they always are coming back to the gospel 
not partnering with the spirit of the world. And I, I really believe that it's the church's role more than any time whenever there's suffering and when there's hopelessness and when there's anxiety that we be those people who walk in peace that is bright and clear and compelling to people around us. And like there is nothing like like when when the when light it's like you know you can see a flashlight a little bit in the in if it's light but when it's dark you can really see a flashlight. And that's the way that God has called us to carry peace. It's like as soon as I realized it, I said, "Okay, God, I'm shut. I'm going to shut down a little bit from some of this information, and I'm going to ask you to help recenter me." It was just like, I mean, it wasn't like some big long thing. It was just boom, and it was sh it shifted the whole posture of my inner man. And what happens when we function that way is that we have eyes to see what people are experiencing, the suffering and the anxiety. But we have a peace that's in us that's rooted in something deeper. And so we become the city set on the hill that others see. And so I, I, uh, there's this really interesting story. I, right now my brain is uh, dimming on the exact, uh, what it was called. But there was an epidemic that happened in Rome, the Roman Empire in the like, second, third century time. And... It really, it really hurt a lot of people. A lot of people died of this thing. And what happened during, during this time was that a lot of the cities in the Roman Empire were ostracizing the people who got this, this particular contagious disease. And they weren't allowed to go in the markets and buy foods. And they weren't allowed to... They were being shunned outside of cities. And the church at this time was pretty heavily persecuted by the empire. And so... But the church actually started taking in all of these people who were sick and were dying. And, I, like, I think historians talk about this, but there was a... Uh, the, the church actually saved a lot of lives. Like, there were a whole lot of lives that were, um, that were really um, saved by the church's actions. The church also endured a greater casualty of death than most of the, most of the rest of the empire. Um, but what happened was it, was it was the turning of the tide for the whole empire in actually seeing and actually appreciating who the church was. It was like this, this major watershed moment for the church where, where the, the empire actually saw them in a positive light. And so I believe that we don't know, like in two weeks this may be nothing, you know, I don't necessarily think like, like God, I think God can do a miracle. Um, but the point, the point of, of this is that we are called to be the people of light and the people of peace, no matter what the situation is. And especially, especially when people are experiencing anxiety. Especially where people, where people are experiencing hopelessness. So I invite you to be both the people who are vigilant and wise and considerate of the information that's given to us and not partnering with the spirit of fear. Like, we can do both of those things. Amen? And so, like, even for me, like, I paused, I looked at what the, you know, the CDC and the local authorities were saying, and they were like, you know, 
We, we are requiring gatherings under 500. You know, we're suggesting gatherings under 250 um, to, uh, you know, to, you know, keep them under 250. And I thought, okay, does this, does this apply to us? And talked to the Lord and felt like, you know, we, we weren't being, that it was the right thing for us to continue service, that we're falling within what the guidelines that have been given. And, but I want to say this. I have heard people make these statements of like, well, the church is just given in to the, you know, to the man. I, that, is, that is not a good way to think about this. There's a whole bunch of churches around here that are praying and seeking the Lord and trying to do the wise thing for their community. And we need to be supportive of God working in His church. No matter if we disagree with their decisions, this is not, let me, refer, let me say this clearly, this is not a moment where the church is being persecuted. Okay? Like, we've we got to be clear about that. Like, people are making decisions based on the best wisdom that they have. And so, that's what I want to invite you to do with me, as like, just as people who are living in this time and the culture that we're at, is that we be those that carry peace, but we not be idiots, too. And so, I actually want to, I want to pray. Um, I want, <laughs> we'll do the classic thing we do. I want you to open your hands, and I want us to renounce a spirit of fear. And I want us to renounce any partnership that we have with the, with the wrong spirit. And so let's just do this. God, God, tonight, we renounce the spirit of fear. We renounce um, any part of us that's participating with something that's of death. And we ask you to impart in us peace and life and hope so that we can be sustained in you, and so that others can be sustained in our sustenance in you. God, I pray that you would make us a city set on a hill, that we will carry the peace of God in us, and that others will be drawn to the light, God. They'd be like moths to my light out in the front porch right now. God, I pray that you would draw people to the peace. And I pray there would be a heavenly impartation of peace that would come rest on this place right now and break off any partnership with an evil spirit. Because that is what it is. It is an evil spirit. We do not want to partner with it. And so we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're present. In Jesus' name, everyone said, Amen. All right. Um. A uh, real quick, I, I'm trying to process through what all I want to get into. But real quick, real quick, um, you know, we last week I, we made this announcement that um, you know over the last year we you know house churches were meeting on Sunday morning um, up till up till basically summer of this last year. And we put a pause on house churches to give leaders a rest, especially because we felt like there might be some people that were leading out of obligation. The, the beautiful thing about this community is there's so much loyalty and family and companion. You know, this is just sort of like, I'm, you know, ride or die, folks. And, and, and so I felt like that we needed to alleviate the, uh, the requirement to lead and give people a season of rest. And so, anyway, as we prayed through in this fall, we felt like that the whole idea of trying to do two things on the same day 
this logistically doesn't has not worked for people. And so this this spring we've launched house churches in on weeknights with people. How many of you have been to house church so far? Pretty much most of you. And so as we've been processing this, you know, a lot of people have been asking about this, uh, and a lot of people have been mentioning this, and we prayed and felt like God was leading us to go ahead and make this decision. We decided that on Easter, uh, on Easter weekend, we're going to have a Sunday morning service, and we're going to leave our corporate gathering on Sunday morning from that point on. And I shared this last week, and we're going to try to re-communicate this. And I want to say this a couple things, is, and I'm not going to do it as elaborately as I did last week, but we don't believe that God is taking us back to something. We think that we believe we're continuing to follow Him down the path He has for us into the future. And so it's really important. It's like, oh, this isn't about going back to the good old days. This is about continuing to walk down the path that God has for us. And so I just want to let you, you know, know that. Um, right now, I would say it's about 95%, you know, that that service will be at 1030 in the morning. And that will be starting on Easter. We will give you plenty, plenty, plenty of heads up. We will not be abandoning house church. We will not be abandoning the idea of equipping people to, to actually shepherd and lead others spiritually. We're not going to be a church with, you know, a bunch of cogs in the wheel. That is not our goal. Like, I'll just go do something else besides ministry rather than do that. I don't have a desire to build a church that's built on my personality or my preaching because at the end of the day, sometimes my personality ain't that good and sometimes my preaching ain't that good. So <laughs> I don't want that pressure, and I don't think God wants that either. I believe that we are a community of people who are called to walk out ministry together, and that is the goal and the path that we're on. And so, at the beginning of the year, we put forward this vision sort of word that fits in line with the spiritual DNA. What, what we believe that God wants to impart in our family is this word, fullness. We, we really think that, when we look back at the journey that we've been on, that what we've, what we've been on is a journey of fullness. We want every person to experience the fullness of God for their lives. And that fullness looks different for different people. But the thing we don't want to, the thing that we don't want to do, it's like the opposite of fullness for me, I've been saying this, the opposite of fullness for me isn't emptiness, it's like kind of like, eh, okay. And so the thing we don't want to do as a church is just be, eh, okay. We want to be leading people into fullness and completeness in Christ. And I, and I really genuinely I believe that's, that has been the journey we've been on with House Church, the journey we've been on even before that. And so we're calling people to see that fullness is God's gift to us. To not live in, not to live in mediocre fulfillment, mediocre life, but to live in His fullness. Amen? Y'all alive here tonight? Alright, so we'll be tempted to be brief. I, uh, Woke up really early this morning, breached, left there to get ready over here. And so, but I do have a really, really long scripture for you to read. <laughs> and I want to say this before I read it, because, you know, we're in this journey of Lent, and 
the, the reason that we're taking this journey together as a family is not because we think there's any sort of like magical thing in following this. What we do believe is that we want to keep telling the quintessential stories of Jesus. And we want to highlight his death and resurrection. We want to be a church that's about Jesus. Amen? I, we want to be a church that's about Jesus' life and his ministry and his miracles and his message. And we want, like him, you know, Hebrews 1 says that he is the exact representation of his being. And so if the Father says, this is the one who is the exact representation of my being, then we need to have our eyes fixed on him. And so the thing I've been saying for the last two weeks is, while Jesus is on the earth, he's constantly doing two things. He is accomplishing the work of God, number one. And secondly, he's demonstrating the work of God. And so in all of his miracles, he is, he is accomplishing good works that the Father has set before him to walk into. And he's also demonstrating what it looks like to, for us to live a life that's yielded to the Spirit and yielded to the Father. And so we get to see both of those things in Jesus. Every time you read Jesus, you, you can see what is being revealed about your work, but also what is being revealed about the life you've called me to live in you. So you can see both of those things. So I'm going to read the scripture, and I want you to know my commentary or preaching or whatever is less important than you seeing Jesus when I read the text. Like this, this, little, this little moment of reading the story, the words, the life of Jesus is the most, is the most important moment of, of my talk. And so, don't look at this as the appetizer. This is the entree. Then I'll give some commentary. At the end of the day, that's what it is. Amen? Alright, so I'm going to read. It says, So he came to a town in Samaria called Sikar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy some food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks for you a drink from you, you would have asked him and he would give you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw and the well is deep. Where can we get this? Where can I can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? who gave us this well and drank from it himself and did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. The water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, Give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Sneaky move, Jesus. Jesus said to her, You're right when you say you have no husband. 
fact is you've had five, five husbands and the man you are now with is not your husband. What, what you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Very observant. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied. Can't get away with saying that now. Woman, Jesus replied. Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. They are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in the truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her jar of water, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of that town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. They had been out getting food. But he said to him, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could, he, could someone brought him food? They didn't get it. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at all the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the one who, seep, the one who reaps draws a wage and, a, and a harvest a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus one saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them and stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that th this man really is the Savior of the world. So Jesus, I'm going to highlight one little part of this. It's one of those scriptures that I looked at it and I was like, man, there's like 800 sermons in this. Like, how could I possibly preach this text? And I've preached this one actually a number of times. And so, I really was drawn to 
this one part of the scripture that's the most peculiar part to me. It's this part where Jesus, they're going out and getting food, and Jesus is like, I have some secret food that you don't know about. Imagine him having a Snickers in his back pocket of his robe. He says that, you know, it's my food, it's my food to do the will of the one who sent me. So I want you to close your eyes. I'm going to talk about good food tonight. Not not barbecue. But the good food Jesus is talking about. I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to allow the Holy Spirit to bring to your imagination the time that you felt most fulfilled in life. Felt most sustained. Just be quiet for a moment. God, draw that to your memory. if you have something coming to your mind. Okay. If you had something and you feel comfortable, maybe maybe just yell out like a tiny word description, you know, of what it was that you, you felt or what it was at that moment. Anybody feel comfortable? Just yell it out. Do what? And you got married. Anybody else? what's funny about this question is if you ask this question to people and I've, I've asked this question similar to people is that rarely do you hear about some accomplishment that they did right I, I, I rarely hear somebody say the most fulfilling moment is when I close that business deal it's like nobody says that when you talk to the end of talk to people at the end of their lives and they reflect upon the most fulfilling moments. They're never like, man, it was that, you know, that state championship we won. That was awesome. Texas forever. But Jesus says the good food, the food that sustains us, is to do the will of him who has sent us. How many of you know there are so many different expressions of the kingdom and his will in our lives? 
And I would say the most common thing that I pastor people in, the most common conversation that I have as a pastor is a conversation around a lack of fulfillment. It's a conversation around just not feeling like they, they matter or that they do anything that matters or that, that, that anything in life really gives any life to them. How many of you have felt this before? I'm sure because I'm having a million, I've had a million conversations with people and, and, and myself, I've felt the same thing. And so I asked myself, like, what does that mean? What does it mean that so very often, whether I'm at Clearpath or whether I'm at some other place, and I'm telling you, I've been on business trips with people who don't go to church, and like, it's the gambit, all the gamut of life. And this conversation comes up so often, like, what does that mean? What does it mean that so many people are asking this question? First of all, the first thing I would say, surmise that it means, is that a lot of us are looking in all the wrong places for fulfillment. Looking for love and oh yeah. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yes. I would say, how many of you would say that's fair? Looking for fulfillment in all the wrong places. In fact, Proverbs 10.28 says, prospect of the righteous is joy, but the hopes of the wicked come to nothing. There's, there is nothing in life that will rob you of hope and fulfillment more than the wrong hopes or lesser hopes. Like despairing situations, suffering, all those things can never stack up to robbing your hope like putting your hope in some lesser hope. Like, it is the fundamental thing that robs us of hope. And so, misplaced hope robs us of true hope. But, but secondly, I think that not only does it tell us that people are looking, but it tells us that God wired us with this innate sense or desire to have some sort of sustenance in our souls that's based on fulfilling and walking out something that He's called us to. Like there is something that's so deep in the human heart that wants to be fulfilled in the works that they do. How I many can agree with that? And I, I just want to make this point that there is only, there's only one thing that will ever fulfill. And it is vital that we live our life towards that one thing, which is hearing His words and walking out His ways. Hearing His words and walking out His ways. I, uh, so this is a personal opinion. I do hold this opinion, but, you know, you could argue with me, and that's fine, and you could make a good argument. Um, but when I, I try to pray the Lord's Prayer every day, and... The part that says, give us this day our daily bread, I don't actually believe that that primarily means daily bread in the sense of food. 
Now, I, the reason I think that is because Jesus, the whole point of talking about this, he's saying, don't worry about what you eat or, you, you know, where you sleep. You know, the birds have these things like I'm going to provide these, you know. So many times that Jesus talks about what his food is when he speaks from two weeks ago, when he speaks to the, to the deceiver, he says, he says to him, you know, you know, my, the, you know, it's my, my brain's fried right now, but it's, a, but like, I live off the words of God. You know, I live, that's what my daily sustenance is. So when I pray this prayer every day, I think Jesus is calling us, and this is my opinion, but I think Jesus is calling us to ask God for the daily sustenance that are his word and his ways and his works for our lives. Now, the reason that's important to me is I know I sound like a broken record player when I talk about this, but I think that so many of us think the food, the good food of fulfillment in our lives will be the big thing that we do, the destiny that we find, the business that we start, the ministry that we start, the thing in at the end of the day, like, we innately know, our souls deep within us know that it's not that that brings us life, but it's the daily abiding and fulfilling and walking out His work and words and ways in our lives. We just know this. And we, and we live for all these lesser hopes that become defilement of our ultimate hope. It's like... The whole body is walking around in a hope defilement because we've placed our hopes in lesser things that are good things, that are okay things, that are sometimes even godly things. But what Jesus says is the good food that he lives by is doing the work of God day by day. That's what he's living off of. That's what's sustaining him. I love, it, it isn't just finding a fulfilling career. It's, it's, it's stepping into the good works he has prepared for us day by day. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's handiwork crafted, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which he prepared in advance for us to do. What would people, what would Jesus' people look like if our life became not about finding that which was big, flashy, and awesome, but if our life every single day was, God, what are the works you've prepared for me today? What are the words you've prepared for me today? What is the life that you've laid out for me today? Do you know what would happen? First of all, we wouldn't be walking around unfulfilled all the time. Secondly, we would be bringing the kingdom of God with us everywhere we go all the time because we would be so conscious of this reality. If we made this our food, then the earth would feast. But we choose to set our minds and our hearts and our affections on the tables that are like it's like food that's deteriorating. Are you with me? Man, Jesus says it that's repetitive in his own language that this is my food. It's like hearing the Father, doing the works of the Father. And this is what we want to be. We want to be like that. 
I remember I've told this story once before, but I'll tell it again because I don't care. <laughs> I think it illustrates the point. I, uh, at our old house, we had this neighbor, and they were, they, you know, that we really we loved the couple and we hung out with them. And, and um, the wife was, she was a really sweet person and a real pr- a person who was seeking meaning in her life. And, and, um, and so she'd always be talking to us about how she was, you know, praying to the universe, praying to what it, she's like, God, universe, whatever it is out there, just like help me. And I remember her telling me this one night and I was, I was looking at her. I said, you know, I said, I, you know, I believe in Jesus. I said, but I believe that God's hearing the prayer that you're praying, even though you don't know to name him what I know to name him. That's actually what Jesus says to the Samaritan woman here. He says, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. But he doesn't discount her worship. So I remember having this conversation with her. And, and then this one night she said to us, she was like, you know, I just, like, I'm just, I'm all confused. I've got all that, you know, like, I just, I'm not having peace. And so the Lord, like, gave us opportunity. We were like, you know what, can we lay our hands on you and pray that you'll experience peace? And so we laid our hands on her and prayed. And I'm like watching her, like just, like it's like peace. It's like, I don't know, like you can't see the wind, but you know when the wind is blowing, right? And I'm watching her. I'm like, this lady is experiencing peace. I thought maybe she was about to fall out in the middle of the room. And in that time, I was kind of in my stage of wrestling. I hadn't seen a lot of miracles she, we get done with the prayer, and she goes, I didn't tell you guys this, but I had pain all down my neck, and as soon as you guys put your hands on me, it went away. Now, this isn't a Christian. This isn't like a person. This is a person who's been to church two times in her entire life. One of the times, a Catholic priest chastised her for taking communion incorrectly. So she didn't really have, like, so much experience with church, and, and she just immediately, when she stood up, she said, all the pain is gone from my neck. And like all the confusion and chaos that was in her, just like it just left. Now, I tell you that to say, I didn't exercise any great faith for any healing. But God had prepared a work for me to step into. Like, I didn't contrive a work. I didn't do a work. It wasn't like, okay, I'm going to muster up the old healing faith here now. Like, God just set it up for me. It's like, you know, our... Our, you know, Zane and I's boys right now are playing this like t-ball adapted coach pitch thing. This is like hitting the ball off the t-ball. You know, it's like off the tee. You know, he, like God just made it. I didn't even have to do a thing, but I just stepped into the work. I believe that that is that is what it's that's what it's like to follow him. I remember this one time I was hanging out in this group of people, and there were a lot of extremely successful people. And this one guy that I knew, like this guy's family has like a fleet of private jets, like just opulence beyond opulence. And I'm not even exaggerating. And, you know, the guy had a little too much to drink, and he knew like where I stood. And I remember this one night, super successful, connected, looked like, a, you know, a, I don't mean this in, 
an appropriate way. He was just an attractive guy. Like he had everything that you would think would be fulfilling. And I remember him sitting here with me after he had a little bit too much to drink, like, like almost screaming at me saying, I am a horrible person. What do you have to say about that, Jordan? And he said this to me like five times in a row. He's like, I'm a horrible person. And I sat there and I kept like, I kept like saying, Jesus loves you. I'm a horrible person. Jesus loves you. So we're, we're sitting there like having this conversation. And I'm just arguing with him. And, it, and, and But what it was is that this man was so unfulfilled that once he had had alcohol, it was just like all of that was coming out of him. It did not matter what he could acquire. He lived in total unfulfillment. Because we have this perception that the things of this world will bring some sort of nurture to our soul, and they don't. And we have what we've done is we put Christianese on all the desires of this world. And we've called those things our destiny. You know what your destiny is? You know what your good food is? daily hear His voice and do the works of the Father. That is the only place that you live fulfilled. That is the only place that you live sustained. And as Jesus said, when we do that, we seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, then what? All these things will be added. I want to give you Three quick characteristics of what I call the good food. First of all, look at Heidi Baker coined this term, stop for the one. And I, lo I love the term because it just says so much in it. And Jesus, with this Samaritan woman who is perceived by other people to be less than, not even like somebody you should talk to, he stops for her. He sees her. He knows her. He looks into her heart. He loves her. You know that we desire so much to have our hearts seen. We want to be known. And Jesus, the, the food that's like the work of God that Jesus was all excited about, I mean, I can't prove this for sure, but I think it's Jesus sitting there talking with this woman. Doing the work of the Father. Stopping for this one. One of the ways, I, I'll tell a story about Bill Johnson in a moment. But one of the ways I heard Bill Johnson always talk about how he would see the character of a person is how they would notice and treat people that didn't gain them anything. Sometimes we miss the opportunity to see people. And simply seeing them and loving them and stopping for them can be the work that God wants to do that day. It's no profound thing, but it's the thing that changes lives and it's the food that will sustain us. I, uh, last time we, we had been some years since we'd been up to Bethel and we went up to a conference there 
and we loved going to the conferences there uh, before. And this conference was good, but it didn't hit us like the same way. And so we were there and enjoying it, and it was it was it was fine, and really loved it. But so we were like, you know what? Let's go. You know, there's you know several thousand people in the room. I don't know, a couple thousand, twenty five hundred people. How many is the civic seat? Couple thousand, three thousand. Okay, yeah. Things packed. There's all these people there. I'm like, you know what? Let's just go get Bill to pray for us. It's, we, you know, he's been a pastor to us for far, and so we walk up. You know, there's obviously always, I mean, this guy's traveled, you know, the last 15 years, he traveled 150 days a year and preached and prayed for people. And I mean, I can't, he's probably prayed for millions of people. Like, that's probably not an exaggeration. And um, we walked up and we're like, hey, we're just here and we want you to pray over us, bless us before we leave. And he leaned into us and he prayed for us as if, it was the most important prayer that he was ever going to pray in his entire lifetime. It was like he leaned really close and just began to whisper and pray this real sweet prayer. Jesus, would you bless them in all that they do? Would you cover them? Remember his words, like that you put your peace on them, you love them. And he just, just prayed this so tender, focused, intentional prayer. And for me, like, I still talk about that. Like, Andrea and I still go, do you remember when Bill prayed for us as if we were the only people in the room? Because when we stop for people, it changes their lives. Because people want to be seen. I think that we need to get back to this as people. Like, in, we need to not be as fixated on the big, flashy, and glamorous and be more fixated on the work that he has prepared for us tomorrow. And when I say work, I'm not talking about like digging my heels in the, I'm talking about this kind of work. Stopping and seeing people. Amen? I just like, there's, there's this, actually really psychologically we know this, but we see this in scripture, there's this really deep desire that we have to be fully known, and yet we have another desire that's kind of competing. We do not want to be unloved for who we are. And so it, these things, things worry each other because people will not share who they are, because who they really are, because they don't want the deepest part of them to be rejected. And Jesus is sitting here interacting with this woman. He's like, Hey, you got five husbands before you. The one you're with is now not your husband. It's like he has completely exposed all of her brokenness. But he's not shaming her. And if we can stop and see people and love people for who they are, then it will release them from the bondage that they're in. So stop for the one I think is the characteristic of the good food I want to tell you another kind of characteristic. So I, it's like when I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking of like what are the works in our lives that really are the good food? I think that a lot of times the good food is just stopping for people. You can agree with me on that. And I want to give you a second characteristic of what I would call the, the good food. Um, 
Look at John 4, 31 through 34. It says, Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. It's such a strange, peculiar statement from Jesus. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My, my food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. This is a really peculiar verse, right? And Jesus is always kind of doing these things where even with the woman, he was talking to her about water of life that will never run dry. And she's like, what are you talking about? You don't even have a thing to get out of this well. I'll tell you the second characteristic that I perceive. I've always looked at this like, what the heck is this? Like, why is this? Why is this in here? And this is what I, I drew from it personally is that most of the time, the world cannot perceive why the kingdom work, why this good food would sustain, would sustain you. The, the disciples aren't really getting it. They're like, somebody must have given him, somebody must have done it. But Jesus is telling them a bigger story. He's saying, this is not that which sustains me. Something else sustains me. And if you live a life centered around the good food of His Word, His work, His ways, and your life, the, the, the world is not normally going to be able, they're going to be as confused at your life as the disciples were when Jesus is like, I got some secret food. Like, they might be yelling at you while they're drunk, I am a terrible person. Because they can't, like, the, the world can't comprehend a life that would be fulfilled in humility and daily love. Everything in us is saying, we got to go out and do something that gets us some glory, man. But the glory of God is in the humble way of love, daily life. You know, I really believe this. That the gospel does not happen in our lives until we treat it not just as our mandate, but our food. Like His work is not going to happen as long as you treat it as your obligation that heaven sent you, that you've got to complete. What does that mean, like food? I'm saying that the works of God that He's put, us, put in us aren't just the things that we're called to do. They're the very things that will sustain us and give us fulfillment. They aren't that which we just give to. They're that which we receive from. One, one of the secrets of sustaining longevity in ministering to others and following Jesus is when we allow giving to be when we're receiving when we allow giving to be that which sustains us. I remember when I was, when I was uh, young and I went and preached at this youth event and I was so like, it was one of the, I mean, I didn't get asked to preach in that many places and so anybody, I drove like four hours to go preach at this like, you know, youth group that had like 18 kids. Literally, I, dro I drove four hours like, 
you know, and then drove back, paid for my gas, no offering like that. Like, I'm not, I wasn't even worried about it. Like, I was just like, I just want to preach. Just, just give me a chance. And so I went there and I preached and it was good. But I remember at the end of the service, I was just like, I was exhausted. I was like, man, I just did the work of God. And I was, I was so depleted. Like, I was just like, I got to have a spiritual rest for like a week. It's funny. But like today I, I preached and I, I didn't get but like maybe five hours of sleep last night and then I was going to get ready to preach tonight. And I realized I was pretty tired because I was just physically tired. And then I realized, oh my gosh, I'm getting re-energized, getting ready to share what God's got to share. Because what we have to, we have to come to a place where the, where the daily working out of the work of God isn't that which we give away. It's that which sustains us. And until the works of God in your life are that which is your food, then it will always be your obligation. God didn't call us just to give. He called us to receive in the very act of giving. That I get to walk away from that moment with that person and be like, heck yeah, that was awesome. When, when Colby had that word for this, for this guy, and this guy's, you know, grown, you know, 50-year-old man, and Colby's like, I saw a business acquisition, you know, and he's given this word, and he's excited. I am pumped because God is working. Like, we have got to get into a place where we celebrate, that we feast on, that we take food, the work and the words and the ways of God in our life. That we don't just look at it as like, oh, I'm, you know, i got to get to that old evangelizing thing. It's, you know, it's so hard. And, you know, when I do it, I, I mean, I just deplete myself. Mm. No, the food, the communion with Jesus is right there in the very works. They're right there in the very giving. And there's nothing in life that will sustain you or fulfill you like finding the table right there with God. As long as we treat the words and the works of God as the things we are to do and not the bread of life, then two things will happen. First of all, we are going to always be prideful about what we do. When we have the awesome moment, we're going to be like, man, that was an awesome moment, Jordan. But secondly, we won't sustain a life of walking in His works. We just won't. Amen? So first characteristic I gave you of the good food is stopping for the one. The second is that the kind of fulfillment that comes from this will not always be perceived by others. You just got to live with that. People won't understand you if you really live this way. The third thing is that of the really good food that, you know, the stuff that the works of God is that the works of, of our Father that He's given us to do have a multiplying effect. They have a multiplying effect. I shared this some years ago and I actually shared this this morning at the I didn't teach this passage, but I just briefly shared on this this morning at the church I preached on. But in the story of the woman of the well, she's a Samaritan woman who's been married five times, which in the ancient world is like, I mean, it just didn't happen, okay? Like, we would still be like, okay, five, you know, at some point you got to figure it out. But like, in this time, man, that is just totally wild. And so, 
So this is not like the highest honored person in society. You get, you get my point. And what happens is, is she goes back into the city and the entire city comes out to see Jesus. Do you realize that the key to the whole city wasn't some politician or rich dude. It was the broken woman at the well who had been married five times. Because, because we think that we have to figure it out with some strategy, how to reach our city or culture, whatever it is. But the reality of it is, is that the key to the city is often the places of brokenness, not the places of power. And if we will simply look and see, then God can work mightily through our simple acts, our simple works of devotion to Him. Matthew 13 outlines the seed that comes in, at the work and those who believe. And the seed it talks about is that it will bear 30, 60, and 100 fold. Because the works that God has put in your life, they won't deplete. They will sustain you. But not only will they sustain you, they will be multiplying in their, in their impact. You're going to talk to one woman and then a whole city is going to come out and talk to you. That's the way it works in the kingdom. When Jesus is calling them into the harvest, He is calling them into a way of existing where their impact will be multiplying in their effect. And the multiplying kingdom crazy fruit doesn't come because you get on the biggest stage. It comes when you walk with humility and you ask God day in, day out, today, I want you to give me my daily bread. This is what I'm praying. Give me my daily bread. My daily bread is to hear your voice, to do your works, to walk in your ways. Man, if we will do that, we will see cities change and nations change. I'll finish on this. And I've shared this before, but I'm sharing it again. When the people, when, when the woman go out, the, the, maybe the most profound moment, oh, there's so many profound moments in the scripture, whatever, a profound moment. Um, when, the, when the woman goes back, she brings all the other people back, and there's a statement that says, there's a statement that's made. They're like, it says they came out because they, it literally says they came out because they heard from her testimony. They're like, oh, this is awesome. Let's go out, check this out. And then at the end, it says, we now not only believe because we heard from you, but because we've seen and heard for ourselves. So this is a really powerful transition. I want you to see that I, the, I was reading the scripture a couple years ago, and the Lord showed me this. It was like plain as day. It hit me like a, you know, like getting hit with a hammer. Is that this may not be always the case, but it's almost always the case is the first time that we encounter God, we encounter Him through the worship of another person. I'm not just talking about singing in church. I'm talking about the love that somebody expresses. The patience that somebody expresses. A mentor, a father, or a mother, or a preacher, or a worship leader, or a teacher, or a friend. At some point the gateway of Jesus' heart becomes manifest through the worship of another person. We see Him through that person's act. But there's always a transition. 
And I believe that God is always calling us to the fulfillment of this transition. Is that at some point we may encounter Him through the worship of another person. And that may sustain us for a while. But in order for the thing to release into us with the permanence and impact that we want it to have, we will have to go out where Jesus is at, find Him for ourselves, and hear Him and integrate what He's saying because we've heard Him and we've seen Him. And so every great testimony you've heard, every person that's preached, or every person that's loved you or compelled you, like it should drive you into the place where Jesus is at so that you can see and hear for yourself. And when we share our testimonies with people, when we tell people of the wonderful things that He's done for us, it compels them to go find Jesus out in the wilderness or out at the well or wherever He is. And so I just want us to recognize and believe that there is an opportunity every day to feast on the Word, on the works of God, on the ways of God. And that feast is not just a feast for you, but it's a feast for others. And if we will live this way, it will have a kingdom impact that multiplies at every step of the way. There will be women who go out to cities, and all of us have our cities. I'm not just talking about your literal city. All of us have our cities of people that we have influence on. When we share our testimony, we are impacting the cities of people's lives. But we have to live with this being the good food that fulfills us, not the shiny, the big, the blatant, the bold, the whatever, that's self-glorifying, but the humble, the daily, the, the miracle for the person that nobody sees, the loving, the loving words that nobody else hears. That's, that's the way we got to live. Um, I want to have you stand. I'm just going to pray, pray this into you, and it's a perfect... We have packaged communion with you because we're not abandoning communion, but we're using wisdom. But this is a perfect entree into communion. I, I want you... Um, I'm just going to... I'll just do it. I know that we probably have somebody to do it, but I'll just do it. Um, I want you, as you come to the table tonight, to grab the elements, go back to your seat. But I want you to think of His body and His blood today as the daily call that He has to step into His life. Like I'm not talking about the thing that's far away. I'm talking about the thing that's tomorrow. I want, I want, you, to, I want you to see this as, as not just some metaphor about Jesus dying, but, but the reality that He's present in the simple, the ordinary, and the daily. And I want that just to settle in your heart. And so if you can go and grab, we can pull this, we can grab the elements, come back to your seat. I'll invite you into prayer. But just have that in your heart as we, as we come. Let's just close our eyes. But I pray for every person in this room that you would center our attention, that you would center our heart,
that you would center our focus on the daily life of Jesus that you've called to come into us. I pray that you would enlighten our hearts to the fullness that is available to us already every single day that we wake up with you. God, let our daily bread be to walk in your works, to walk in your ways, to walk in your words. May you minister to that deep in our souls tonight. We thank you for all the demonstration that you did and what a life looks like in you and for the works that you accomplish, especially your death and resurrection. We take this moment and we say thank you. And we ask you the grace for tomorrow to be the day that we eat your good food. For today to be the day that we eat your good food. We love you and we receive this as your meal. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. You may receive. you say thank you thank you Jesus I don't think we have any we do have announcements okay you want to close us out in prayer then we actually have like 17 announcements so Okay, um, this week we do have, uh, as we do every week right now, we have house churches. Uh, Wednesday night, uh, Dallas meets at 7, Rowlett meets at 6.30. Um, so, we win. Um, the, the return continues next Sunday at 5, of course. Um, Easter, this is a reminder that on Easter, uh, East, Sunday morning, April 12th, that we will begin having a Sunday morning service every week at 10.30 a.m. So, if anyone hasn't caught on to that yet, Sunday morning services, making that transition on Easter. Um, there is a women's gathering planned for Saturday, March 28th. Now, this is sort of de uh, pending, depending on the whole uh, corona thing, but... Um, <laughs> But currently, there, there is a women's gathering planned for Saturday, March 28th, from 3 to 6 p.m. Uh, you're going to be hanging out at Clyde Warren Park and going to the DMA. So mark your calendar, March 28th. Um, and last thing is that everyone is invited to uh, Toby and Sarah's baby shower this Saturday. And that is, that is here. No? Where's it at? Oh, it's at their house at, at, at 1 p.m. on Saturday. If, if you need more information, Bree, stand, rise. No, people might not know you. This is a big place. Can't just expect everyone to know who you are. Thank you. If you need more information, talk to Bree about it, and uh, we can bless them, huh? Uh, Bree, Bree is uh, th this uh, decade's name for Brittany. But um, <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna close us in in prayer and just bless you guys as you go. God, we just thank you um, so much for your heart 
for us. And God, we just pray that our heart would in some way return that love. That we could give back to you, God, in just a, a small measure of everything you've given to us. God, let us, um, let us be generous with our time and everything we have this week for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.